technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today, and we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up... We've been able to keep up with this bandwidth. I think we can continue to do that. It just requires us to not only drive that cost per bit in the equipment that we deliver, but also constantly reassess and reevaluate the network architecture to make sure we're extracting the efficiencies that are necessary to continue meeting the demand. You're listening to The Future with Mick podcast with Michael Hainsworth, a Nokia original series. Network operators accustomed to a 50% increase in demand year over year have found themselves delivering that data boost almost overnight thanks to COVID-19 and shelter in place. And new technologies embedded into 5G will make expanding a network or accommodating a crisis that much easier and faster and more efficient. But what are the biggest challenges that come with meeting this exponential demand for new bandwidth? For insight, I turn to Steve Vogelsang, the Chief Technology Officer of IP and Optical Networks at Nokia. He says supply will only meet demand if the network evolves. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the recent weeks have been very challenging, uh, specifically related to uh, the COVID-19 outbreak. Um, speaking of supply and demand, what we've seen is demand increase literally overnight. Um, we typically see a 50% increase, 40 to 50% per year in networks. And with COVID-19 work from home, we've seen that jump uh, from happening within a year to now being uh, over the period of just a few days. And this has had pretty fundamental impacts on the network. It, it came out of nowhere. We couldn't have anticipated it. So even the best capacity planning uh, wouldn't have been able to deal with it. Now, what's been interesting is the networks that we've built have responded very nicely to this demand. So we've seen this huge increase. Uh, it's happening in areas, new areas of the network at new times of day. Uh, and our networks that we've built largely have responded uh, to handle this. And I think it's really a testament to our philosophy of designing our IP and optical equipment uh, under the idea of performance without compromise. So we want to make sure that as we're adding capacity, uh, we're allowing our customers to do that without compromising uh, performance and functionality. In many ways, this is a precursor to what we see coming with 5G. You know, if you think about 5G, what it's doing is first, increasing capacity through technologies like massive MIMO uh, and opening up new spectrum. So we get better utilization of the spectrum and access to more spectrum. Uh, and that really is geared toward meeting the demand, you know, this constant increase in bandwidth demand. But 5G is also geared toward new applications. So there's new functionality such as low latency and ultra reliability uh, that are geared toward more industrial type of applications. So allowing industries to start utilizing the, the 5G network uh, to find ways to better operate and run their businesses. So if you think about that from a, an, a transport network perspective, uh, it's the transport network is going to have to respond to new applications and new functionality that right now we can't really predict. We'll see how those evolve over time. Well, tell me more about that architectural evolution, because we're not just presently pushing the limits on bandwidth but on distance too. Yeah, that's a big challenge, particularly for transport networks. Um, if you think about the performance of an optical transport network, it's really a function of capacity and distance. Uh, if we go longer distances, we typically have to dial back the capacity in order to get those longer reaches. If it's shorter distances, we can increase the capacity uh, on a given wavelength. 
And so when you think about the shifts in the network, uh, it becomes very difficult to do capacity planning because if if bandwidth today I need to extend over long distance and the application shift tomorrow and it's over a shorter distance, I may have have the ability to flex the bandwidth. And so what we've really been looking to do is with new technologies uh, and new generations of our optical technology is to see if we can help operators simplify that. So we really want to try to deliver a new performance paradigm where we can enable capacity. Uh, enable that capacity really over any distance. And when you mention these new industrial applications and the cloudification of Industry 4.0, distance becomes critical, but not in the long-distance side of the equation either. Yeah, that's exactly right. So a lot of these industrial applications ultimately require very low latency. So this means that compute... Uh, which we've been for years now really centralizing into more central data centers. And I've talked about the you know, enterprise cloud migration, which further centralizes some of the compute functions. But we're now seeing a need to distribute uh, other compute functions. So uh, those functions that are required to operate a factory uh, get very fast response time so that uh, a robot inside the factory uh, has the instructions it needs, needs to know where it goes. Um, or you, you know, a, an assembly line where you've got different equipment that needs to be coordinated. Um, that's requiring distribution of compute. And so we, we get this sort of simultaneous, we want to centralize things to get efficiencies, but we've got to distribute them to enable these industrial applications. Uh, and you can imagine the Im implications on the network. Uh, it just makes things uh, very, very complicated. Well, then how do we deal with the complexity in this evolution of the, the transport within a network without increasing the complexity to the point where we can't handle it? Or is the answer just throw it at machine learning and let algorithms handle it because we simply can't do it ourselves? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things that uh, we've been doing. Um, one is to start thinking about the advances that we have in technology uh, to simplify rather than always pushing on you know the highest capacity across the shortest link. And so if you think about the optical world, What's been happening for years is every new generation of coherent technology, people talk about, you know, the peak bit rate they can get across a very short fiber that really has no applicability in a real network. Uh, and so what we've been doing at Nokia is looking at this problem a bit differently and saying, well, with each new generation of, of silicon, with our new DSPs, uh, with the integration of photonics uh, into very small packages, how can we utilize that combination of you know silicon photonics and small packages, next generation of DSP, instead of going after the latest highlight of performance across a short fiber link, how do we utilize that to make the network simpler? So whether I'm going a long distance or a short distance, I get the exact same performance end-to-end uh, -end by utilizing that technology. And that's a, a been a big focus area of, of us, of ours. The other thing you mentioned there was AI and machine learning. We're starting to, to look at those technologies. We've been doing a number of experiments. A big area that we see a, a lot of potential is utilizing machine learning to help operators understand what's going on in the network. If you think of a, a typical day in a knock, as an example, uh, it's screens just filled with alerts, alarms, you know, information flowing from the network. It becomes impossible for the network operators to understand. And often what they do is they just dismiss a lot of that information because it's just overloading them. What we can do with machine learning is we can analyze all of that information. Um, we've started to find that we, we can very quickly take huge volumes 
of alerts, statistics, information coming from the network, and through machine learning systems, make sense of it so that we can tell uh, events that are occurring that may not produce exactly the same set of alarms and statistics, but are similar, a machine can recognize that they're similar and suddenly correlate these things. So something we saw two days ago pops up again, where an operator wouldn't really see that as the same event, uh, machine learning systems can identify that. And so you can very quickly uh, determine what's happening. And then most importantly, what's the action that needs to be taken to address the situation and improve network performance. So as we look at the evolution of the architecture of a wireless network from 4G to 5G to move from the simple, let's just pump as much as we can down a pipe as quickly as we possibly can to a more contextual relationship with those ones and zeros. Uh, let's start right at, the, at the, the front lines with the radio access network. You know, we used to talk about front hall. We used to talk about mid hall. Now we're talking about any hall. Yeah, and it's it's a recognition that one size fits all is no longer the best solution in networks. Um, given all of the challenges that we've already discussed, uh, we need to have the right solution for the right locations uh, in the network. And so in some cases, that will mean front hall. Uh, front hall allows the centralization of a lot of the radio resources. So you can imagine scenarios where you want to reapply that capacity to deal with events. You know, an example that I often will use is uh, uh, something like uh, a venue where you're holding, you know, large numbers of people are gathering, but they're not there all the time. Uh, and so with a front hall type solution, we can light up, if you will, radio capacity in that event. But when the event's not on, we can redirect a lot of those resources for other purposes. It could be an event in another part of the city or it could be something else. Uh, so that's one of the advantages. Now, the disadvantage of front hall is it requires a lot of capacity. You need you know, very high uh, optical transport in order to get into and out of those sites. And so you know, that's traditionally where backhaul was the right answer. You know, backhaul, we push all of the radio functionality out to the site. End result is you have a lower bandwidth connection, so lower cost in terms of the IP and optical transport, uh, but you have that capacity now is fixed to that location. Uh, and so this is why we've started to, to look at mid-haul solutions. It's sort of a, a compromise where we centralize some of the functionality and distribute others, and you also get a, a compromise in terms of the capacity required. And so when we, when we step back and say, well, how will 5G networks get deployed? Ultimately, it's a combination of all of those. There'll be cases where, you know, the right answer is to use a front hall, other cases where the right answer is to use back hall, more traditional, and other cases where the right answer is to stick to some form of mid hall. And over time, we're going to see various types of mid hall. And so when we think about how do we build these networks, we need to make sure that we can handle all of these scenarios. We can handle them all efficiently, and hence, we now talk about any hall. So we build you know, packet transport networks that can handle the time-sensitive networking requirements of things like front hall, can handle the new encapsulations and requirements like eCIPRI as an example for a mid-hall style network, and of course have all the functionality required uh, for something like backhaul, where you have higher layer uh, IP and, and MPLS capabilities to, to handle the traffic. So uh, it's a combination of all those. And, you know, we, we constantly look to building those solutions and bringing them to the market. So I understand then why it's important to have a common optical network fabric, but I can't imagine it doesn't come without challenges. 
Yeah, the optical network is, uh, you know, over time, we've made it much, much more flexible uh, in providing an end-to-end fabric. Uh, and that's flexibility in terms of how we can route those optical signals. So we've gone to wavelength routing, um, you know, across multiple degrees. I've deployed many of those degrees now. Uh, but also flexibility in, in the size of those signals, something called FlexGrid. So uh, the, these systems, you know, wavelength routing with FlexGrid uh, are, are being deployed. Uh, we continue to believe there's significant value uh, in utilizing this optical fabric. And one of the big things, it's, it's really not complicated. People ask me, what's the value? And you know, simply put, there's a big investment when you build an optical network in the, the transponders or transceivers, the coherent technology that's used to get the bits onto and off of the optical network. And when you have an optical fabric and you do experience a fiber cut, what that ultimately means is we can take all of that transponder capacity and we can reroute it um, over different fiber paths. So you're not you losing the transponder capacity when you have a fiber cut. You're able to to retain it and just reroute it at the optical layer. And that's a that's really a huge benefit in terms of the cost required uh, to build a highly robust network that can handle fiber cuts. And that's all part of the challenge of planning for failure. How does a CSP take advantage of this technology to ensure that it doesn't become the headache that we've seen in the past? As you point out, when a construction worker cuts a fiber line, entire regions freeze up, or at least they have in the past. Yeah, and that's uh, you know that that's something that we can address now with uh, the optical fabric and and wavelength routing, uh, where we can redirect onto a different path. Um, and, you know, if you think about the way that this would be dealt with without having that optical rerouting, you would end up having to invest in having sufficient transponder capacity and router capacity uh, to deal with you know, any particular fiber cut. Uh, it's possible. You can do it. Um, requires a, a, a different investment profile. Now, w- what I will say is the challenge when you're doing optical, uh, an optical fabric with wavelength routing uh, is, you know, as I've mentioned, the the performance of the optical network in the transponders is ultimately a function of the distance and the number of pieces of equipment that you're traveling through. So when you're rerouting, suddenly the equation changes and you may be going a longer distance uh, for some of those fiber optical transmission lines. Uh, And traditionally that would mean complete reconfiguration, changing modulation formats, you know, all sorts of different things that you would have to do. And in the end, it's very hard to determine, do we have enough capacity when we reroute? Uh, and so this is where we see an opportunity, upcoming opportunity to, to rethink that process and say, hey, what if we could deliver uh, a transponder, a coherent transponder technology that could maintain performance regardless of distance? And so that's an area that, that we've been looking at and we think we'll be able to bring some pretty interesting solutions to market. Uh, and the end result for a CSP is not only do you get protection when you have a fiber cut, but you know the network is going to continue to perform uh, at the same capacity when you get a fiber cut. What, though, of trying to boost the amount of ones and zeros we can pump down a line? You know, ever since I started researching the Shannon limit, I've had Del Shannon's runaway stuck in my head. Well, let's define the term, if not the musician. So Shannon's limit is essentially the, the maximum bits per second per hertz or, or spectral efficiency that you can get across a nonlinear fiber optic transmission. It will vary debate based on the distance, but you basically have a curve that says, you know, I can't get efficiency uh, in the fiber uh, that exceeds that curve. And that's been something that Shannon calculated a number of years ago. It's held true to this day. In the fiber optic transmission space, as you mentioned, 
we've been improving efficiency of you know how many bits we can we can send down a, a bit of spectrum in the fiber pretty consistently if you go from back to 2000 until today you know we've increased over 200 times the capacity of the fiber if you think in terms of shannon's limit in db uh, that we can in terms of measuring shannon's limit in db uh, I think we've improved by something like 25 dB over the last 20 years, and we only have about 3 dB left. Every 3 dB, basically, you're doubling the, the performance. So we've come up 25 dB in 20 years, and we only have about 3 left. So we're really getting so close to that limit uh, that it's starting to become impractical uh, to push the technology to try and get that last few uh, dB of, of capability out of these links. And this, again, is why we're, we're changing our thought process, uh, because we know we can't really go much further in terms of applying technology to increase fiber capacity. We start thinking about the realities that we'll need to put more fiber uh, into the ground, light up more fiber, complicates the networks because we have more links. So how can we apply that, the new capabilities and new capacity that we get from silicon, from silicon photonics, from our DSP technology? to simplify the network. Uh, and that's a big, big focus. And I think you'll see over the coming years, more and more of the industry will start talking about network simplification rather than uh, trying to push fiber capacity. As part of pushing up against Shannon's limit and the solution being more fiber, what about other means of simplification of this issue? You know, we're integrating coherent optics into a router. Is that part of the simplification solution? Yes, it is potentially. Uh, it's a hot topic today because uh, what's happened is we, we're now starting to, uh, as an industry, develop uh, standard coherent interfaces. You know, Traditionally, coherent interfaces were proprietary, um, which served the industry very well, would allow vendors the flexibility to really push the limits and get the most efficiency uh, through innovation without being tied you know, back to a, a standard. Uh, but because we're getting so close to Shannon's limit, it's now becoming possible to say, well, okay, we may not get the absolute best performance, but we can create some standard interfaces. And that opens the, the possibility of integrating uh, more efficiently into routers. One of the things that ha that's happened as we've gone through the evolution of coherent technology over the last few generations is the size of a coherent transponder has decreased. You know, if we go back uh, to, to 2010, 2009, early days of, of uh, coherent, you know, we had kind of double wide cards uh, that were the, the state of the art for a coherent interface. That's decreased over time to now we have uh, pluggable modules. So you have a, a CFP2 DCO uh, coherent module. Uh, and now the latest, this new standard that's that's been developed in the OIF uh, is something called a 400 gig ZR uh, module. And that can fit potentially into a QSFP DD form factor. Um, that's significant from a router perspective because it's really the first time that we have a pluggable coherent transceiver that matches the capacity of the router. You know, traditionally they were they were larger than a typical router interface, and so you'd have to give up some capacity. Um, now that we're seeing that that gap kind of close, where potentially I don't have any density trade-off in the router, uh, the industry is is all abuzz talking about okay, what does this mean, and how do I re-architect the network with coherent optics uh, directly plugged into the router, and ultimately, what is the value? And this is something I think we're we're working through as an industry. Uh, there are some very basic use cases for 400ZR optics uh, where, you know, there's router interfaces where I may just want a direct point-to-point -point connection between two routers. 
400ZR can do that at 400 gigabits um, over a, a pretty decent fiber span. So if there's no density trade-off in this scenario, I, I, there's got to be trade-offs somewhere. What do we need to know? Yeah, that's a very good point. So there are still rather significant performance trade-offs uh, that we see. So the, the technology 400ZR that can be integrated into a router today uh it's really designed for a single point-to-point span. So single fiber span, uh, point-to-point, uh, could be literally a single 400 gig ZR interface, just getting a 400 gig uh, capacity on the fiber. Uh, it does have the option to add multiplexing, DWDM multiplexing, and some amplification to extend the reach a little bit further, maybe to 100 or 120 kilometers, um, and could be fairly significant fiber capacity. But again, the trade-off there is it's a single point-to-point fiber span. Uh, And that's what 400 gig ZR is designed to do. So as we see the architectural evolution, and it shows us the the value of a common optical network fabric, what though of a CSPU says, you know, I've got gear from other people. It just sounds like you want to sell me more of your gear. Well, one of the things that's happened with the optical fabric uh, over the last uh, few years is we've gone to uh, what we call open line systems. Uh, And so we're increasingly building networks that uh, will have an end-to-end optical fabric that is carrying traffic from multiple vendor transponders, and that will continue over time. And I'd say as Nokia, we've been very much committed to the concept of open networking. Uh, We recognize ultimately that uh, for a CSP, they really need the flexibility uh, to be able to select the vendor that delivers the best a solution for them, whether they're looking at you know the price per bit, whether they're looking at the long-term value. Um, you know, we obviously think that we can deliver those solutions, uh, but we are recognize that our customers, you know, will want the ability to assess and and bring other vendors into the network where it makes sense. And so we've been committed to those open types of structures, including uh, with the optical line system, where we have uh, you know, open line systems today. So as we're seeing this traffic increase. It sounds like the solution, when we're not seeing a commensurate revenue increase, is this evolution of the architecture of the network. Yeah, that's correct. There have been a number of things that have been happening over the last few years that uh, have enabled operators to keep up with this 50% increase. Uh, And we see some more opportunities to continue that. The first thing is that we've been, as vendors, we've been driving down the cost per bit of our equipment, and that will continue. Uh, So we will continue to drive down the cost per bit, drive down the power per bit. uh, And that's a big factor in in helping operators keep up. Um, It's not the only factor. The other key thing that's been happening is, you know, re-architecting the network to remove uh, layers, to remove you know, hops in the network. So there's been a, a big push, if you look at the way the internet is structured, toward more distributed appearing. So the distance for an access provider from where they, they need to deliver traffic to their consumers uh, and where that comes onto their network has decreased over time as uh, you know the big content providers have distributed their backbones and more dense peering. We, we, we see that will continue uh, to a certain degree. Um, we're also seeing a delayering of the network. Uh, and so We used to have uh, redundancy schemes that would span across both the IP layer and the optical layer. Uh, We're now building uh, end-to-end networks where we think through the various redundancy schemes and make sure they're implemented in one layer or the other. That provides a pretty significant saving. So we've been able to keep up with this bandwidth. I think we can continue to do that. 
It just requires us to not only drive that cost per bit in the equipment that we deliver, but also constantly reassess and reevaluate the network architecture to make sure we're extracting the efficiencies that are necessary to continue meeting the demand. See the future. Listen to what's next. Read about world changing ideas. All by visiting futurismic.com. The Futurismic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth is a Nokia original series.